that Everyone got one What's your opinion? This is the rare room Tongues won't be bitten Ain't no rules Just spill it And anybody can get it No limit We get to kill it You tuning into the thrillers And no, ain't no stopping no. Any topic Even the random I hope that you ready We entering in the zone soon We on a grown shit Welcome to the rare room What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, opinionated, <laughs> shut up, Natasha, <laughs> and we keep it 2022, y'all, yeah, on this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Chris Derrick is out this week, but we got a dope-ass episode for y'all, um, emerging writer herself, Coming up, Natasha M. What's up, Natasha? How you doing, girl? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good, good. Welcome to the show. We've known each other Thank for a little you. while. Um, I can't remember where we met. Cosby. I think it was the... Was it there? I, yeah, it was years ago. I think it was a Cosby Writing Fellowship, and then we move in the same circles. Ah. So we've been like passing ships. <laughs> yeah. She's been following a brother. That's all. I have she been. all in my DMs. You have to follow success. That's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> Did I come in and talk to your class or were you before or after me? I can't No, you came in and spoke to us. But we okay. were the last session of the Cosby oh, Writing Fellowship 2012. 2012. And you came in and spoke to us and you were ridiculously inspiring. So oh, yeah, I just like was like, you know, I got to stalk a brother. See what he up to. But he going to do some big things. So, yes, you know. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you. That's dope. That's dope. Um, so let's talk a little bit about you. Sure. Like where are you from? How you got into the game? Sure, sure. Um, I am from Do or Die Bedside. Do or Die. <laughs> Do or Die Bedside. Okay. <laughs> uh, Brooklyn, New York. Um, I'm. Well, my parents emigrated in the '70s there, and I was born and raised there. Uh, and it was a quite an interesting shock. Um, because I was co-switching like a mofo and didn't even realize it because when I was at home, I was the good traditional, you know, quiet, studious uh, Caribbean daughter because okay. if not, I'm getting my butt beat. Are they Jamaican or where are they from? Uh, Barbados. Okay. Yeah, and I'm, if not, I'm getting my butt beat. Like, it's just what it is. I can't right. be like, yo, ma, what's up? No, none of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then when I went to school, though, you know, you, you drop the accent. You try to, like, be a little bit harder. Um, you pretend you know Tupac when you don't exactly. like you know the yeah. lyrics you don't know the lyrics you pretend <laughs> that you watched that show when you did right. <laughs> and so I had a whole other persona going to school and I and then of course you're also trying to acclimate into white America because that means success right, right. right. Um, and so I was kind of navigating all of those worlds from a very young age didn't realize until my 30s why my identity was so screwed up <laughs> but <laughs> that is essentially the reason um, and then from there I matriculated as at Syracuse University. Mm. Um, it was the first time I was away from my parents, thank God. I had some kind of autonomy <laughs> over my life. Um, and it what was, did you study? Um, so here, that, that's part of the story of okay. how this all started. Mm -hmm. So I went there for English education because okay. it was a safe job. Writing is not a job in most immigrant households. It is doctor, teacher, right. lawyer, <laughs> like <laughs> something with some security <laughs> and some 401k and health insurance, right? So, something that says er at the end. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what my parents wanted for me. And I was so into pleasing people, meeting right. their expectations, that I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And then in my junior year, a really good friend of mine, I was talking about some movie, mm -hmm. and she just turned to me sharply. 
are you just going to keep talking to me about movies for years on end? Or are you just going to go study what you want to study? Wow. And I, I was like just her. like, and she was mean about it. I was like, what <laughs> happened? She's like, I'm tired of listening to you. I don't even like movies. <laughs> and so I was like, huh. I didn't even realize I was doing it that badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what ended up happening from there was I, without my parents knowing, uh, applied to SI Newhouse, which is the media school at Syracuse. Um, they teach TV, they teach film, particularly in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, screw it, I'm gonna try and get in. I'm gonna be an intra-university transfer. Mm-hmm. But I had to take a huge test, it was a whole thing. <laughs> right. um, come that summer, I'm at my house, <laughs> hoping that my parents don't get the mail first. <laughs> and I open, get the mail, and I got in. Mm. So then all of a sudden I was a double major with English and television, radio, and film with a minor in education because that way I could still do what my parents wanted, but mm-hmm. I was also learning what so I So they don't mind you being a teacher if they, if that was what it was. Yeah, they just wanted me to have a okay. stable job. Right. Um, and they never knew that I took on another major. But what that meant for me <laughs> is what that oh, wait, meant. Right, right, right. I'm telling. <laughs> But what that meant for me was is I had, I'm an overachiever, um, so I was always doing 18 to 20 God knows how many credits mm. a semester, but that opened up because that meant that I had junior and senior year with tons of space, right. only to fill yeah. it again with a whole new course <laughs> curriculum of 18 to 20 something credits so that I, I could graduate on time. <laughs> um, so from there, I did Teach for America while also being at Columbia Teachers College. Um, whoa, I've never really been in the education system enough to see the disparities, and mm. I saw them very Is that, is that considered like higher learning stuff, or what is that? So that's, um, Teach for America is, they grab a bunch of newbie uh, graduates who have no life experience, mm-hmm. and they stick them in what we call surf schools at the time, and these are failing schools that oh, okay. need extra resources, um, and it's, I have some qualms about that because a lot of these younger people, they don't know what they're getting into and they have no life experience to deal with it. Um, And at the same time, I was earning my master's degree, probably shouldn't have done both together, but they were paying for it. (laughs) You wouldn't be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then the second thing that happened there was my speaking of arch nemesis. (laughs) I had a kid who um, very, very smart. Um, one of the most amazing kids I've ever met, though. Um, very intuitive. He decided he I was his enemy. Really? Why? Yeah. <laughs> well, I found out why. Um, but he, his, he said, you know, he would go to the back of the room and get his hair braided by the girls. He wasn't paying attention, mm. coming late, always had a bad word to say, but right. like, respectively, like, very respect, respectful in the way he did it. <laughs> and... It was the two years were up and I was thanking God (laughs) that I was done um, because that was the kind of school where there was an ambulance outside. There was an ambulance outside every day, um, just in case. Um, And he pulled me aside and I think one of the saddest things I have ever seen happen. And he says to me, are you all black? Like, I have to ask you this question. I have to ask you this question. I've been trying to like bother you and like you just keep bouncing back. You have all of this joy like, are you all black? And I was like, look at me. What do you think? I'm a black woman. What, what's going on with you? And he basically said, it's just no matter what I try to do, you don't fall. Was he a black guy? He's a black kid. Yeah. Huh. He's like, no matter what I try to do, you don't fall. He's used to knocking people down. Yeah. You don't falter. You get back up. You still have a smile on your face. You're still kind. And I just never seen that kind of joy. Hmm. Even a black person, because black people can't be happy. 
Wow, where are you That's from? That's what he said to me. <laughs> wow. Um, and I know his life, he's, he lived in the South Bronx. Mm-hmm. His mother wasn't really around. His father was somewhat abusive. Um, and I definitely know he was selling drugs on the street um, mm-hmm. to just take care of, like, just his family. Right. Um, so I know he had a much harder life. But it was <clears> at that <throat> moment where I realized that culturally speaking and also my upbringing afforded me some kind of privilege that I didn't really realize. And then in terms of culturally, because I'm from the Caribbean, um, there is a different way that people are raised. um, And I just didn't realize that that was a thing where I had to acknowledge, oh, wait, I have a cultural nuance and background and upbringing that is very different from many other people who look like me. Is that something that I should explore more. Of course I didn't. <laughs> but in that moment, it was just, like I just cried because I just never understood like how he could say that. And of course I tried right. to encourage him. Um, so from there, um, I taught for two, I, so like I said, I taught for two years. And then after that, um, I went to work in post because it was a safe way to do what my parents wanted, <laughs> which is to have a stable job. Um, and there I met my husband um, while I was engaged to someone else. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why, why are you tra- <laughs> See how she's trying to jump? <laughs> uh, it was she, a really <laughs> she wild, y'all. She wild. I am. Um, you wouldn't know what to look at me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was engaged to someone else, and it was just a relationship that wasn't going to work. But right. it was once again me letting go, peeling back that layer of expectation, and and trying to fit into the box that people want for me. Mm-hmm. I had to peel that away, and so I met my husband there, and. <clears throat> He found out I was a writer, but I hadn't literally written anything in a long time because I was went from teaching to uh, post-production right. and I just had forgotten about my first love. And he found out, he came every morning and said, have you started writing yet? Hmm. Have you started writing yet? Hmm. He did that for a month. I love him. I wanted to shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually I went home and wrote uh, That's So Raven spec okay. and threw it at his head on Monday morning. <laughs> And I was like, I'm done. Leave me alone. You see, you see, I wrote, leave me alone. And he goes, this is great. I'm sure I'll have notes in the margin. You should get started on your next project. (laughs) I like him. Uh, And so that continued for another like two months. And then eventually what ended up happening was, I mean, he's really why I'm here today. One of the main reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, I, at Script Magazine, they um, were advertising a full scholarship to the Vancouver Film School for their writing program. Mm -hmm. And I said, shoot. Okay, I'm gonna write a supernatural spec because I love supernatural. Right. I was a Buffy girl, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then they ran into supernatural. And I was like, I love these boys. It's gonna be easy for me to write. It's gonna be fun. I didn't expect to get in. That's the time to write it too. <laughs> when, you, when you really love exactly. that type of show. Exactly. Yeah. And I didn't expect to get in. I was just like, I'm gonna see what happens. See if what God's guiding hand is. Right. Um, and lo and behold, I was the grand prize winner. <laughs> the grand prize winner, wow. With a full ride <laughs> to Vancouver Film School. Um, wait, 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 more education? <laughs> more education, I am. I have a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> I got my education. <laughs> well, if that was, if my parents could say one thing that they were successful or they were drilling, drilling in the importance of education really worked. <laughs> You're a finisher, so you don't just like, you no, know, start I, some I class and not finish it. So. No, I finished. Um, so uh, it took me a year to get the courage to mm. like do my dream because I was like, 
I'm going to be writing for a year. People know I'm a full scholarship winner. They're probably going to be targeting me. (laughs) (laughs) I was very nervous. And my husband, uh, once again, then boyfriend, basically pushed me out the door. And he was like, you are going to go and do this. Um, And so I lived in Vancouver for a year. In that year, we wrote, I don't even know how many things, but we wrote everything from spec scripts to pilots Mm -hmm. to shorts um, to sketches to poetry, like live poetry. So we just wrote... It was just writing, 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 mm-hmm. writing, writing. Um, and that's it, it how- It all helps. It all it helps. helps. It was all bad, <laughs> but it all helped. Mm-hmm. And what I learned from that program is I actually really love this. Right. Because when I was done with it, I was like, oh my God, I'm exhausted, but mm-hmm. I'm already thinking about my next project. Like, mm-hmm. this is fun. And then I was like, oh man, like my parents are gonna kill me. I think, I think this is what I wanted to. <laughs> um, and I, of course, already knew that since I was a child. <laughs> But I was like, oh, man, it's not going away. Um, And lo and behold, six months later, I got into the Cosby Writing Fellowship, which which moved me out here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got into that using a fringe spec that I had written um, at Vancouver Film School. Um, And that brought me out to USC and into L.A. Um, And this is how I knew I was meant to be here. Wait, is that where I met you? I don't know. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) I met this wonderful, inspirational speaker at the Cosby Writing Fellowship. Tell tell the kids. (laughs) His name was Hilliard, and he was the bomb diggity. (laughs) And I just had to know him more. So I basically social media stalked him. She stalked the brother. (laughs) (laughs) Until I could finally be at a place where I am sitting here right now talking to you. Uh, So, uh, and how I knew I was meant to be here was I ended up in Brentwood in a written control department that my friend turned over to me. And I was like, wait, what? And when I tell people that they're like, how? In Brentwood. In Brentwood, how? (laughs) And literally my friend was leaving at the same time I came and she just gave me her apartment. Wow. Uh, So I was just like, okay, I'm here now, I'm here. And then everything kind of stopped. Hmm. And I, it stopped because of fear. Um, tell also, him, tell him. because of fear, um, mm-hmm. I was very, very afraid of what the next step was. But more so, I think I was afraid of telling my truth hmm. um, and living my truth and, and, and staking my claim, whether I fail or succeed. It's, right. I'm used to success, as mm-hmm. you can tell. <laughs> Um, I but, was but, a straight A student. Let me, let me just say this, but school is a safer place to Oh, experiment. for sure. You know, for the sure. real world is completely different. It's completely different. Yes. And um, growing up, I was bullied a lot. I was mm-hmm. definitely the outsider. Right. So having to the idea of putting myself out there again and possibly getting hurt, that, right. oh, a lot of that. So I using my parents as an excuse because at this point they were an excuse so using mm-hmm. my parents as an excuse i took a very safe job at hbo um where i was in post again because i have post-production skills the good news is i can take those anywhere and yep. make money um very few black women yep. know what a digi beta is or <laughs> hd5 or ProRes, mm-hmm. and i can go in and do all that so mm-hmm. i was at hbo for six years which i think was th- three wow. years too much in post yes so you should you should know a lot of posts. I know a lot of posts. That's good. I know a lot of posts. Mm-hmm. And then um, lead with that, depending on who you're talking to. Yeah, That's actually, um, <clears throat> it's one of the reasons. It's one of the it was one of my strong suits um, in my latest show, which we can get to okay. later. Um, so I was there for probably about three years too long because it's very comfortable. HBO is so just, comfortable. Quick question, quick thing. I just listened to that long ass thirty something hour book on HBO. <laughs> 
But it's so much game in there. It's just, and it talks about people be there forever. Forever. Yeah. You don't leave. Yeah. Because <clears throat> first thing first, it's a 35-hour work week. Oh, not 40. Wow. Okay, you get a full hour of lunch. You get mm-hmm. your vacation time. You get all of that. Plus, you have a 401k. You have health insurance. Right. The job is not hard, depending on your department, but my job wasn't hard. You just had to know what you were doing. Sure. And then, of course, there were moments of like stress. Mm-hmm. All jobs have that, but overall, it was a very pleasurable job. Um, so I, I just let it ride. Right. <laughs> um, and so about three years into it, I started getting very antsy, and I knew I needed to leave, but fair kept me in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what ended up happening is at t <laughs> walked in <laughs> and was like yeah. we're buying H3O yeah. and then I was like okay that's great they're a tech company I'm in the tech department what's gonna oh, and yeah. so what ended up <laughs> happening was is my department wanted to start doing different things mm. they wanted to start um rest you know restoring film and doing a bunch of skill sets that we hadn't started yet so that we could differentiate ourselves from AT&T which is brilliant Mm -hmm. except that meant that where I was writing on Saturdays and writing early in the morning (laughs) and trying to squeeze in my dream they now wanted me to go to class Mm. on Saturdays and early in the morning to learn the new skills and I was like so I would literally have no time to write. On top of that, my best friend got a severance package. Mm. She used the office and went into and cried every day <laughs> because I was so depressed about the fact that I didn't feel like anything was going to happen for me. Right. Um, and so that was all signs, all the signs. Um, and from there, I literally just was like, I have to quit. Like mm. God is literally being like, girl, you either do? give up your whole dream. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> or you get the hell out. <laughs> and so in like um, March of 2019, I quit my job. And my whole goal was to just live off my savings and to write for a year. Mm. I wouldn't suggest that to anyone. It's just me being crazy. Um, at the same time, I was also... She I was did, living on the HBO money, though. She <laughs> <got> money. <laughs> at the same time, I also did have a part-time job with Tanya Bhattacharya over at Script Anatomy. Okay. Um, so I do... But obviously, I, um, those are great classes if you can afford them. Mm-hmm. Um, they really, really teach you structure, um, teach you how character work works, and um, they're just a fantastic group of people. Um, and being able to work for her um, meant that I also got classes for free, so mm-hmm. it was definitely a good exchange. So um, at least I had a little bit of money coming in. Um, but what really changed in 2019 is I got tired of always hearing, this is great, but I didn't really resonate. Or mm. this is, you know, I obviously tell you're a great writer, but it just didn't move me. What and, do you, what, let me just ask you this. You know, I'm interrupting you, so we haven't... No, no, of course, talk. <clears throat> what do you think... And you're probably getting there. What do you think was missing? What was missing was me. Mm. Um, I have been taught to acclimate and my whole life. And mm. when I say acclimate, I mean code switch. I tell you what I think you need to hear. Right. I do not want you to you're see safe. me. I play it safe. Got it. And my whole life, that's what I was taught to do because you know, you're being essentially groomed for white America. Right. So you're like, this is how they talk. This mm-hmm. is how it is. They don't need to know that you're from Barbados. They don't need to know anything that makes you different. Exactly. You're already different enough right. from the visual. Right. <laughs> so everything was kind of like removed and I was kind of walking around like a shell of myself. Um, in addition, in the times where I were more myself, even around my friends, I got ostracized sometimes. Um, because my mind, basically, and we can get into this later, actually, mm-hmm. we'll push that aside. Okay. But essentially what ended up happening is I went to therapy. 
Um, and I got really honest with myself and about who I am as a person and my identity. It was a lot of crying <laughs> and a lot of tears Get it out. Get it out. Mm -hmm. and a lot of me just like yelling and crying and crying and crying and crying. Um, and then what I came to realize is my first experiences with racism were because we're, we're other black people. Mm, interesting. In other words, you're not black enough. Mm -hmm. Why do you talk so white? Right, right. Uh, why are your parents so weird? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> your, weird. your parents like why do they talk like that? Because they right. had an accent. Right. Then why can't they speak like Americans? Like literally yeah, all right. these little comments, and then also just like sometimes yeah, that's trauma. It's trauma, mm -hmm. and then like even when the whole Hillary Obama thing was happening, mm -hmm. I loved Obama, but I thought he was a little too young, so I was more of a Hillary supporter. Okay. I had friends turn to me like wipe my skin and say, can't you see you're black? Wow. So it was all of this trauma <laughs> that I had to unpack. But then on top of that, um, there is this unspoken animosity between the Caribbean black community and the American black community, okay. particularly, or just black immigrants. Um, and that's because black immigrants are typically told that American blacks are lazy mm -hmm. and shiftless and they don't want it, they don't want anything, they're whatever, whatever, mm -hmm. all the, White supremacy. Everything we see on TV. Yeah, exactly. And which is not true. It's not true at all. But that's what we're told. Uh -huh. um, and that's what my parents were told. So that they raised me that way. And on the other hand, because you're tr because you're approaching a person that way, they're going to approach you with the same kind of wall. Sure. So their thing was, you can't trust them. They want a green card. Um, they'll turn their back on you in an instant. Like So there was all this like built up animosity yeah. that I didn't understand what was happening as a kid. But as, mm. a, as a woman, I was like, oh, that's what that was. Mm. <laughs> and anytime I try to talk about it though, there's a very monolithic idea of like, black people need to be the same mold. Right. And so I would always kind of catch heat for that too. And so I was like, mm, do I really want to dig into this? But I kind of have to if I want to be honest with who I am and my experiences. Um, so the script that I ended up writing mm -hmm. after all of that was it's called Iris and it's a take on Romeo and Juliet, mm -hmm. um, which I also wrote for my past students because they were like, why do I care about old European white people? <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to bring it over here. I'm like, OK, let's bring it into something they can understand. But it was essentially a story where Romeo and Juliet have been reincarnated through the generations and now they're reincarnated into a black Caribbean girl who's living in Brooklyn in the 90s, okay. and Romeo's reincarnated, re, reincarnated into a black American boy. Okay. Um, and their love was used to then talk about the cultural differences oh, yeah. and the so animosity. you're able to have those conversations. And that, exactly, that's and that's the smart. animosity and the distrust mm -hmm. and the misinformation. <laughs> and then on top of all that, the, the girl's father is a cop. Okay. So I got to really go into how he's trying to basically ingratiate himself to white people and there's this one older white cop that basically is like you're all our animals so mm -hmm. like i don't even know <laughs> like you're an animal they're an animal and there's no difference to us right. and so just to really get into those gradations of like identity mm -hmm. and like that complexity of my experience right. i was terrified to put it out because i was like someone's gonna kill me someone's gonna read it and be offended someone's gonna want to shoot me i had my husband read it a hundred times mm -hmm. because his history is in black american his family hails from the south so i was like literally like please tell me i'm not doing anything to offend anyone and then finally I put it out there and it just caught fire <laughs> like and that's the fire. lesson stop worrying about what people are going to say stop about worrying you. about yes. what people are going to say yes. which is very hard for me to do because like mm -hmm. I said I was raised to 
keep it together and mm-hmm. always be concerned about what, what people think about you. I just you. want to add this is, and I've said this many times on the show, my career turned around years ago. I was in a meeting with a producer and somehow he brought up being from New York and going to CBGB's and I went, what do you know about punk rock? And he went, what do I know about it? He's like, and he starts going in and I was like, well, let me tell you, you may not know who you're talking to. <laughs> <clears throat> and we get into this whole thing. Well, guess who got the job? You, right? Of course, yeah. And I realized, and he said at one point, remember I just said earlier, lead with that. And he said, Hilliard, always lead with that. And I was like thinking, what do people care about the fact that I was this little 80s Afro-punk rude boy dude? Who cares? No, lead with that. That's what separates you. It was like all that. So now when I'm in conversations, they realize why I'm such a neutral guy compared to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm from the same place where they made Dangerous Minds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was the dude in dope. Yeah, you and that's I mean? exactly what it was so funny you said that because that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I started leading with the fact that just because you're surrounded by people that look like you doesn't mean you're safe. Correct. Um, and everyone was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I would tell them my experience mm-hmm. and they'd be like, oh. oh yeah. And of course, from there, it, once again, this is a, a monolithic way of thinking about blackness when really we're as varied culturally as white America. Like right. we have so many cultures, so many traditions, so many different ways of thinking and speaking and being and none of that's been addressed on TV and there are no those nuances and I think it's really important that we start having those nuances Mm -hmm. because we need to be celebrated as individuals and as human beings um, instead of just like black America like that's not a we need to like kind of dismantle that and be like okay but who are we as individuals of course we're still black America just like there's a white America, Mm -hmm. but that's not all we are. And so a lot of people, that's literally what they would say to me. They were like, oh my God, we've never done that before. We never even thought about that. Why didn't we think about that? And that's the thing that literally, so the script was my calling card and then I would tell them my story. And from there, just things just exploded. So what ended up happening at the same time, which was really fortuitous because. Did you have a rep bike then? (laughs) No, no. Well, sorry, Brandy. So yes, I had a manager and I've had her for two years before that, but even she would say the same thing. I don't see you Mm. in any of your writing. This isn't resonating with anyone I'm sending it to, and thank God she kept me on. She's a blessing in disguise. Mm -hmm. But she kept me on because she really believed in me, and she thought my writing was very strong, but she was like, I just don't see you. And until we can get you to a place where we see you, Mm. nothing's gonna stick. And so then I wrote Iris, um, Mm -hmm. also pretty much on her recommendation. And Mm -hmm. so from there, everything kind of exploded. Um, so the first thing that ended up happening was I, it was literally June and all the damn fellowships deadlines were over and I was like, I'm seeing five people and I just want to go, like I'm seeing five and one, I'm just tired of <laughs> Stop writing, I don't want to do any more deadlines, I don't want right. to write any more essays. Um, but for whatever reason, I got on Twitter. I'm not a social media girl. And for whatever reason, I got on Twitter and um, there was this writer who was like, and it was during the time of BLM, mm-hmm. George Floyd, civil unrest, all of that. So all the writers, all their, and the pandemic. So all the writers were like, we're shit, you know, no yeah. shows, everyone's sitting at home, nothing mm-hmm. to do, and BLM. So uh, all of a sudden all these writers were like, we wanna read black writers and support mm-hmm. black writers. Um, and I literally went on Twitter, even though I don't normally do this, and I saw the first post of that, and it was only posted 30 seconds ago. Mm. Once again, God being yeah. like, ego. Oh mm-hmm. no, of course, I'm nervous. and don't really want to share this script. And my husband, once again, is over my shoulder like, if you don't send that script, I'm going to send it for you and let them know you are a chicken. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I sent it and he loved it. 
I sent it to a few more writers. They all loved it. Mm-hmm. Sent it to Jenny Klein, who is now a showrunner on That Thing About Pam. She not only loved it, she basically became my guardian angel in a lot of ways. Okay. Um, she's the reason why I currently have, yeah, she's mm-hmm. the reason why I currently have my <clears throat> agents. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can get into that. But, and then on top of that, it also got me my first showrunner meeting. All off of the one script shared on Twitter. Yep, I keep telling people. <laughs> and uh, that's what that's how it ended up happening. At the same time, it all kind of happened together. It was a whirlwind. So at the same time, I find out I won Austin Film Festival AMC One Hour wow. Pilot with Award script. with that same script. Wow. Um, <laughs> and I got into the Viacom CBS Writers Mentoring Program mm-hmm. also around the same time. And then I got my agents. Um, my Jenny Klein recommended me to her agent at UTA. Okay. And so my who are you with? Huh? Mm. I am with Greg Iserson and Faith okay. Brown. Okay. Um, I'm with Matt Badowski. But, oh, I know Matt Badowski. Okay. Yeah. So uh, her junior agent became my senior agent, okay. and then Faith Brown is my junior agent. They're both phenomenal. Like they're a dream team. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the single-handedly one of the reasons why I got on Virgin River. Okay. Um, and so basically everything happened all at once and I was sleep deprived because <laughs> I had like a million meetings and everything was just kind of twirling around and I didn't believe it all like I was just kind of running on autopilot right. um, and then what ended up happening is even before CBS could staff me um, my agents called me and was like we have a ceremony meeting for you for this weird little show like this little show kind of <laughs> called Virgin River I know it's not really your thing because you typically write darker and yeah. fantasy <laughs> But hey, do you want to try it out? And of course, there's a part of me that I hide that's very Anne of Green Gables, and it's very Virgin <laughs> River. And of course, I do the show because <laughs> I kind of loved it. Yeah. And um, they were like, "Oh my God, you watch it? No one else has. No one else has seen it <laughs> that we spoke to." So that's I funny. interviewed for the show. And it, I got the job like the next day, and then I was in the room. I think a week later, and now I was staffed. So you came in what series? Which, which season? Um, season four, which is currently airing on Netflix. It oh. started uh, July twentieth, uh, which was last Wednesday. Okay. Um, and I wrote. They gave me two episodes. I wrote four hundred five and four ten. Wow. Which that's was great. which was lovely. Um, it was a lovely room. A great <laughs> experience. Um, one of the best. And so I was still finishing out CBS while being on staff. So that was nice and busy. <laughs> um, and then from there. Is, is that what you said? Um, um, ben Watkins came and spoke to you guys? Yes, Ben yeah. Watkins. So the CBS program was phenomenal. Um, it took what I was already kind of doing very rawly mm-hmm. and made it much more refined. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that they really preach is um, getting to know your what they call nuggets, which is looking back at your life and thinking about the moments that really stick out, mm-hmm. um, experiences that you've had, accomplishments that you've had, really dissect your life, right. talk to other people if you need to, talk to your parents, um, and then put it on a list. And what ended up happening is I got that meeting for Virgin River like at nine in the morning. The meeting was at one. Mm. <laughs> and I was just like, <gasps> Um, I pulled out that list and I literally found three things on the list that could relate to the show. Mm, that's important. Highlighted them. I always them. tell people. Exactly. <laughs> how do you connect to the characters of the show? Something. Use exactly. It. Use it. And that's what I did. I highlighted <laughs> them and then I was like, okay, this is the three things I'm going to talk about right. and I got the job. But the thing is, if I hadn't made that list. Mm-hmm. Right. 
So um, that's one of the CBS is really fantastic with brand and then also the mock interviews. We have showrunners that come in. Ben Watkins was one of them. He so graciously came in and did mock interviews. Mm -hmm. um, and what they do is you talk to the showrunner for five minutes as though you're on an interview. And then we uh, we analyze what how your answers were, what you can do different, what you can do better. Mm -hmm. um, and you're so basically sharpening that interview tool. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was great too. Trust me, I I use his stuff too. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's phenomenal. Uh, if anyone can get a chance to talk to Ben Watkins totally. and pick his brain, he's he's just amazing. Best best job I've. I, I it's actually better than just jobs I've had when I was working as a writer and producer and other stuff. Yeah, if, yeah. I am not even surprised. Yeah. Um, Hand of God is to down to like one of my favorite so shows. Dope. It's so good. Yeah. Um, and so from there. Um, I was supposed to return to Virgin River for season five, but mm -hmm. unfortunately the room got pushed a little bit longer. Um, and when I told my agents that it had gotten pushed, but I was willing to wait, mm -hmm. they were like, okay. And then two days later, they had me on another showrunner. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I told you I was gonna wait. And they were like, no. no <laughs> yeah. if, if there's an opportunity, you need to take it. But also, as much as I love Virgin River, it's not what I want to write going yeah. forward. So they were trying to make the transition over to darker mm -hmm. material, um, material that's more about racism and classism and so like all of the isms. And right. then also, I also need to move over to fantasy. So they're just trying to move okay. the, the, the pendulum a little bit. And so, so did you have other samples for that? Oh, so or are they still using that one? Um, Iris was got me in Virgin River, even though it's literally a, it's very dark. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a very dark piece of material right. and it's a fantasy. But um, my showrunner, Sue Tenney, she loves dark material because she writes light material. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was perfect for her. Yeah. And she got to see the Romeo and Juliet of it all, which Virgin River is a romance. Uh -huh. So it fit for her. Um, and mm -hmm. then this next show, St. X. Um, it literally takes place on a Caribbean island. Oh, well, duh. <laughs> <laughs> and in the Caribbean area of Brooklyn. <laughs> That's funny. And both. Yeah. And if you don't get staffed on this show, bitch. You <laughs> <laughs> and it's, my script showcases that. Right. Um, so it was kind of, luckily, uh, Lila Gerstein, who's the showrunner for uh, St. X, read it, loved it, um, obviously saw the parallels mm -hmm. to what she was writing, brought me in for an interview, and then I got staffed a week later. And so from October of last year to March of this year, that was my show. And it was mm -hmm. a very challenging story, mm -hmm. much harder than Virgin River um, in terms of crafting it. Okay. I also think it was a first season first show. First season, I was about to say, yeah. First is a fourth season, season show. Yeah. Um, but it was very rewarding and I definitely learned a lot. Even like, you know, growth is painful. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely learned a lot and I'm a better mm. storyteller. I'm very grateful. Um, and it's shooting right now in the DR um, nice. and in New York City. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So that's been my journey so far. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I was thinking about was um, we were talking earlier about sometimes you got to change or pivot your career or your life or your the way you write or whatever thing is <clears throat> and and some of that just means being just the plain and simple embracing i'm going to stop holding back yes you'll be amazed when you stop holding back the things you, i'm gonna give you a short little story so i remember i used to write spoken word like back in the 80s and shit right in the 90s a little bit and i was writing stuff about girls and one of my gay friends who knew I was gay was like, why do you keep writing these damn things about girls? And I'm thinking because I was an actor, I didn't want nobody to see the information. And I remember in the 2000s when I met one of my first boyfriends and I wrote a real love poem about them and said he and all that shit, 
how much it poured out the reality of it all and how corny those other ones were in comparison, you know? And I was like, oh, that's the difference. Mm -hmm. The truth. The truth. Yeah. Because also it changes the way you write. Right. Because you're overcome with this idea of like, this is a, you've been given this gift. It is uniquely yours. Mm -hmm. And you're overcome with like, it's almost otherworldly in a sense that your whole body and essence is on the page now. Yeah. Like you can feel it. It's not a struggle. Well, yeah. I mean, writing is hard, but it's not as much of a struggle no. to get the words on the page yeah. because you're not questioning. And you're excited about exactly. it. Exactly. And yeah. you're not questioning, well, will this really happen? Would he really say that? Would no. she really do that? Would this? No, it's like, I know what would happen mm-hmm. because it happened. Yeah. <laughs> and so now you can just write the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think writing the truth is the most important, most impactful thing you can do. And I think and I think an example of that, the reversal where people have problems is when they try to write something based on something real and they don't tell the truth. Yes. Because they don't want people to know. I don't want my mom to, everybody to see that I was saying she was an alcoholic when the bitch was. <laughs> you know what <laughs> That's I mean? exactly it. So they changed the character and now the character has no agency or whatever and no depth. You know what I mean? And so, and I'm like, no, you can be inspired by them. You know, keep them inspired in that world and change the character a little bit. Maybe they're younger. Maybe they're exactly, a male or a female exactly, or whatever. Exactly. It just it just makes it a different person. Okay. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Um, and I just think that if you can't find the truth in what you're writing, um, you'll notice that there's a lot of things out where it's funny and entertaining and it's mm-hmm. quippy and it's this and it's that. But then you walk away and you don't feel anything yes. or you don't remember it the next day. Yeah. And if someone says what happened, you're like... Yeah. Great car chase. Like, <laughs> um, and I think that's when you can feel someone basically had a job and they did their job well, but they didn't want necessary in that. Right. Um, and I think for, especially for breaking in, there's one thing to be a professional writer when you're hired to deliver something. Mm-hmm. It's another thing when you're trying to get people to see your value right. as a storyteller. Right. They need to know who you are because that's gonna resonate with them is the simple truth of, so what, for Iris, obviously, a lot of the white executives reading it couldn't relate to the whole black structure of it all in the Mm -hmm. inner city and all that, but what they saw was a girl struggling to have autonomy from her parents and form her own opinions. They can relate to that. And they can relate to Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Or they can relate to the idea of having to do what your parents want you to do or getting stuck in other people's expectations and being terrified of being authentic because you're going to hurt them. Um, And so there was a lot of things that resonated in there that were just basically human Mm -hmm. problems that a lot of people have. Yeah, and that's that's something I, I remember when I met with my reps at UTA and you know they were plotting and planning what they were going to do and how they're going to make me the next this or whatever and i just said to them at the end you have any more questions and i said yeah and i says do me a favor and i said what well, it says love you guys i'm happy to be here this is my dream agency right i says but just know this do not just send me on black ship you got to know this and i'm telling you guys to you guys if you if you don't know this i'm educating you now mm-hmm. <laughs> literally and i said I live in a white man's world. We black people, people of color live in your world. We know you. We're amazed when you guys know us. Exactly. So assume that I can write just about anything, right? In whatever the, you know, the style is in the way I write with white folks, right? I said, if you guys only send me on black stuff, I'm walking. Mm-hmm. In the room. 
You know That's I mean? amazing. Yeah. I didn't have to say that <clears throat> because they kind of really get out of that mm-hmm. for me. Mostly because when I, I had to give them a list of like my favorite books and my favorite TV shows. Right. And it was definitely a variance of like black, white, right. um, you know, Spanish, this, mm-hmm. that. Um, I even watch K-drama. <laughs> I watch it all. Yeah. Like, I just love it all. These Korean TV shows are my favorites right now. They're, They're so dope. Good. They Dope. do such a fantastic job at like character. Yes. Because like you, you're like so into the characters. You half the times you don't even know what's happening on the screen. Yeah. You're just like, is it gonna happen? What's yeah. she doing? There's, what's this gonna- new, there's this new zombie one that I watch on Netflix that is oh. a bomb. Is it the Kingdom? No, that another one. It's with oh. kids. Oh, I'll it's a it. new one. Oh yeah, it's it's dope. They did, and I saw at the end they're coming out with part two, and I was like, yes, <laughs> it is amazing. The Korean dramas are so good. Uh, um, they are also one of the things that help me understand character a lot better. Okay. Um, in terms of like the small things you do to express a character that yeah. have huge resonance. Okay. Um, it's they're just so good at it. Love it, love it, love it. Um. Oh shit! I gotta find the damn thing for you one of these days. Anyway, but it's it's dope. I find it and I get it to you later. Um, what was I gonna ask you? Oh, so you've been on staff, yes, twice now, right? Yes, in the last two years. In the last year. In the last year, that's great. Yeah, those are great odds. I I'm so blessed. Yeah. it just. Ha- but the thing is, I also <laughs> spent over ten years trying to break in. Understood. So it's kind of like I'm an overnight success for ten years of backstory. <laughs> But here's the cool thing, and I tell this to writers all the time. You know, I didn't, I didn't get my network break till I was 47 years old. I'll be 52 in September, right? Brother, just pretty. Don't tell me. You are so pretty. <laughs> Shut up, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, that didn't stop me from working or ever being in the guild or anything. It just means that was my first big network thing, right? Now, but that was by choice. You know, I chose to stay on the outside and just make my own project, still making good money, you know, being an independent guy. But what it did for me, so now that I'm in this position now at this job, now I know how to do all those things. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to wait to become an EP to learn to do those things. I was already pushed into learning those things. Like you were talking about working HBO, you get into the job because you have some experiences and then you learn things on the job. And I was just learning you know, how to talk to departments. I, I didn't know anything about art department. I'd go over there and learn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, whatever it is. I didn't know about green screens. I'd figure it out. You know what I mean? So it was like all these things now that you could put me anywhere. That's amazing. You know, action. Doesn't matter. Sci-fi. Doesn't matter. Like, I can roll in wherever it is and blend in with the right team. You know, now I, I just need to be able to, you know, um, uh, manage. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. once you could do that, that's it. That's a piece of cake. I mean, not necessarily, you know what I mean? Yeah, no. But overseeing it all is what I, when I strive. What I would say, too, is I completely agree with you because I, I'm someone <clears throat> who, like, did post-production because I'm, I'm very good at it. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily love it. Um, and so when I became a writer, I was like, oh, psh, <laughs> I don't need that anymore. Well, <laughs> Let yes, me it do. over there. <laughs> and then I got my second show. And one of the things that she really appreciated is that I understood post-production. Yep. Because I was the one that helped her with, you know, picking out editors. Mm-hmm. I was the one that was able to reach out to HBO's post-production team to say, oh, what no. editors do you recommend who are available? Mm-hmm. Like, getting recommendations for people. Um, I went straight to the head of post-production at HBO because yes. she knew me, you yeah. know? Um, and even just for her understanding how 
how green screen worked. Like she didn't understand how like, you know, what shots would be CGI or why they needed to be CGI, right. what this, what that. So she had a lot of questions that she was trying to understand and I was the person that she would ask these things nice. to. And that was me being like, oh, Okay, I guess I can't forget it entirely. <laughs> but I, it was good to have that knowledge, and I could help. That's her. a superpower. That's yeah. a, that's the kind of stuff you want to bring into the room, yeah. you know. And that's what I'm always. That's why I was saying it's something. Depending on the meeting, you should lead with. Yes. Because you're telling them, I'm coming here to write, but if you need any help anywhere else, I can help you. Yes. You know, because as you know, usually after you know twenty twenty five weeks. Most of the people have gone, and mm -hmm. then they're still there, and it's just you know the showrunner and one or two people who have to do everything. So it's like, hey, if you need some help, yeah, and that's you can bring a sister back. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know and I'm, I mean, I've I've made that known because they're still shooting, right? But I've even said, you know, if you have any questions once you get into post, just let me know. And she's right. like, Natasha, you're like the first call <laughs> because amazing. my head's gonna hurt. Like, right. and so right. I was like, I'm here, you know. This is her first show running. Um, no, she ran Heart of Dixie. Okay. Uh, I don't remember how many years ago, but yeah. she. She her she was originally on the OC mm -hmm. and then got a chance to show run Heart of Dixie and then she's doing a, she's been doing a lot of consulting okay. um, and now this is her first show I think five years okay. um, after Heart of Dixie got or it, so okay that makes sense um, so what kind of things um, you you were saying something about the, from the first show compared to the second show you learned a lot yes like what. Well, just in general for the writers who haven't been in rooms yet, like what sure. type of things did you... Um, well, I think it's had a lot to do with a first season show. Mm -hmm. So for first season shows, we're trying to figure the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fourth season show, it's like, oh, we know what this is. You right. just need to do these things right. and like do them well. It's you know? a machine. Exactly, yeah. it's a machine. It's yeah. like, come in, learn how we do it, do it the same way, execute, do your best, right. and you're good and you're golden. And so, it, and it was easier to pitch into because mm -hmm. they're like, they're not like we need something X, Y, and Z. They're just like, we need a medical story for this person to do this thing. Right. And they're, so they're very clear. Um, first season shows, the things that I learned is to be patient with myself, mm -hmm. to not feel like I always need to have the right answer or an answer right away. It's okay to not be on top of things because mm -hmm. I'm someone who feels like I need to be on top of things. <laughs> yeah. um, but also use the skill sets that you have. If you're not quite understanding X storyline, if you can help her get editors, if you can help her do anything or him, your showrunner, help yeah. them where you can. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I learned is how to juggle multiple storylines in terms of also time periods because the show has multiple time yeah, periods. You gotta track it. And you have yeah. to learn how to track it. Mm -hmm. So that was in, like headache inducing. <laughs> but I learned to be more proficient at that. Um, and then also we had to learn how to write very difficult topics in a way that didn't come off as a soapbox. Mm -hmm. So we, so essentially the story, just so you understand it, I don't know if you remember the Natalie Holloway. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we are telling a story about this white family who goes on vacation, Christmas vacation, um, winter vacation, um, on a Caribbean island, and their eldest daughter goes missing and then is found dead. Right. Um, and there's evidence of sexual intercourse so they're obviously are calling rape mm -hmm. of course the two people that get charged are two Brothers. black men mm -hmm. who um are at hey, didn't this just happen yesterday <laughs> <laughs> probably did 
are two black men who worked at the resort. Um, and so what we're looking at is the story, and this is all based on the book. Um, Saint X is also a book. Mm-hmm. And then we are, so what we're looking at the character of the little sister who was seven at the time. Um, 20 years later, she lives in New York City in the Caribbean area of Brooklyn. And we're talking, so we're talking about gentrification. Yeah. Uh-huh. And she runs into one of the brothers who is now a cab driver. Mm. And of course, she becomes obsessed and ingratiates herself into his life mm-hmm. in a need to, in a, in a dire uh, desperation to figure out what happened. Um, and so then we're also looking at, you know, a white woman who is essentially almost stalking a black man. We also have a lot of ideas of classism um, because even though this horrible thing happened to her, she still landed on her feet versus he's a cab driver. Mm. Um, we're also looking at like all of these isms. And so we want to make sure that we're talking to them, but not being soapbox. Right. Um, and so writing that into that nuance is was something that we got really good at. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, Lila was fantastic in guiding that. Um, but that was a process of learning sure. how to do that, you sure. know? Um, how do you make it clear without making it like over the top and banging someone on the head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So those are some of the things that I think I learned. And then in terms of- Sounds like it's gotta have some mystery in there and too. And there is mystery know? and yeah. there's also like a, there's also a psychological element and there's also like this propulsion of, is she gonna get caught? Is he yeah. gonna find out who she is? Um, is he gonna find out that he she followed him over here? <laughs> like mm-hmm. she's, she's like hiding over here. So there's a lot of like, not thrillery aspect, but you definitely have suspense. Right. Um, it's a fantastic story and I can't wait to see it. Um, D. Reese did the pilot. Um, right. So I'm so, so you know excited. It's gonna look exactly. <laughs> so I'm so excited to see what she did with it. Right. Um, but it was just a harder show. To she was break. in my class at, at Cosby. And she she left like I want to say it was halfway through or something because she had booked something. That's but she amazing. was the first one out of out of our out of our class to to get something big. And then the next one was um, um, Saji. Oh from, wow! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even surprised though. She's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. So but I would say the difference between first season shows and. If you're getting on a season one show, just know that you are building the show with the showrunner. Right. You are helping them tell the story that they sold to the studio. Because sometimes things go off the rails. And then you're like, wait, but we told the studio this was a thriller. <laughs> so you got to bring it back over here. Exactly. Um, and you are focusing heavily on character. You're doing a lot of character work, uh, psychology of the character. Right. Because you need to understand how these characters move in this world. Because it hasn't been done for you yet. Um, and you're also... Um, basically, I would say you need to understand that the showrunner is under a lot of stress because a first season show is very hard to get off the ground Mm -hmm. and do not take anything personally um, because it is not personal. They are literally losing their minds. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And just be there to support them as best you can. Um, If you feel like your ideas aren't getting out there, send an email every two weeks. Like, or every, like whenever, but or once a month being like, hey, I thought this was, I had a really good pitch for X. I just wanted to share it with you. So don't feel like because you didn't get a chance to say it in the room, you're doomed. (laughs) You're not doomed. You can, there's email, there's phone calls, there's text, there's all various ways. And people forget that once that script is written, that 
it still is a moving thing until they get to the set. And even then, it's still, it's a still moving. moving. So you might send in a great pitch that somebody could be like, oh, you know what? I could use that right here because now I got to do a rewrite on it anyway because we got to change the location. The blah, blah, you know what I mean? So you might as well add that thing in. But here's something I was going to say was um, I was talking to my assistant the other day um, over at, at, at Ben's company, and we were, we were talking about the, 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 how busy we are. And I said, we are busy. Let's just put ourselves in Ben's position for a second. You know, not only is he running a new huge Amazon first season show, right? He also has to run all these other shows that are just about to get the green light and all these meetings, all these pitches, all these. I says, our job is if he drops it, we pick it up. Mm -hmm. That's how I look at it. You know, like there was there was something. This is just some funny little shit that happened the other day, um, a few weeks ago. I walked into the kitchen, and I saw um, a soup can on the counter, and I went, "Cause Ben always eats soup," and I went, "Oh, he didn't make a soup yet." So I just went and made it. He was on a he was on a Zoom call or whatever, made it, put in a nice bowl with a little plate, served it to him, and everything. And he was like, "What the fuck?" And I was like, "Like, like, sh- like, go ahead and do your thing." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Now she's the assistant. I could have let her do that, but that's not the point. I saw it. It needed to happen, right? So to me, I'm always letting them know I got you. Exactly. Whatever the thing is, I'm always still trying to, even though I'm number two there, I'm still always trying to put myself in the position to help. And to that, I would say also you have your ego in check. Yes, for sure. Because a lot of people in the number two, number three position, it's like, that's not my job. Right. What? there are some assistants. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah. I don't do this. yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna repeat, you need to realize you're there to help wherever you can. If you right. see a hole, fill it. Fill it. Yes. Don't just sit there and wait for someone else to see the hole. Yes. Okay, fill that hole. Right. This is not about your ego. This is their show. And every single time that I've thought, you know, I probably should let Ben know about this thing, he's always like, Thanks, Hill dude. Man, pe- I'm so glad you sent that thing. Whatever it is, instead of me going, well, I, if he asked me for it, I'll no. I just, just send, send it. it. You know what I mean? So it's like I'm. Uh, so I'm always telling people, think like a fish. What would you want, right? And if it's something you would want that way, if it's your showrunner, if it's your friend, who whatever, just do the thing. You don't have to be the number two person in the room mm-hmm. to do the thing. If you can help, just do it and be like, hey, just thought this would be beneficial exactly. to every. That is bringing value. Exactly. You know what I mean? And as long as you bring value to the room, um, you will work again. I agree. Because people will know that they can rely on you. Regard- and the thing is, it's actually more important to bring value. So obviously delivering a good script and delivering a strong writing, you know, like a strong script at, when it's your turn to write is very important. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Someone who delivers a so-so script but is always there helping pushing, sending emails about like, oh, I had this dope idea, just filling those holes, Mm -hmm. they will bring that person back and help them get better versus bring someone who is a fantastic writer Mm -hmm. who hit it out the park, but then literally just sits there and does nothing. Totally, totally, 100%. So, yeah. That that brings value, but it doesn't bring enough value. No. You know, because you could fix that. Exactly. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, they're going to rewrite most of the scripts anyway. Yeah. So whether the script is, the script could literally be perfect 
And then they're still going to rewrite it because even though what they gave you was perfect, the outline has already changed. This mm-hmm. this actor can't be there that day. They can't get that 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 uh, location. Right. Um, they can't uh, fly in the thing that they were supposed to fly. Like there's a million mm-hmm. and a half reasons. Even if you deliver a perfect script, that that script is changing. Right, for sure. <laughs> and so <laughs> even though you've delivered a great script, and thank you for that, if you're not adding an additional value. It, you're, you're you're putting yourself in danger. Yeah. Do you do you write procedurals? Um, I can write procedurals, but I don't write okay. them naturally. Okay, just curious. Somebody just hit me yesterday about something. No, um, I, I actually I do have but I have one procedural sample, which is mm-hmm. a supernatural procedural because I wanted to okay. write something for network. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll talk after and see if you want to. do I'll read it to you. You can tell me. If okay. Which is a. That's been one of the advantages I have about being the um, the co-chair on the Black Committee and the Education Committee and whatever other committees I've been on is it puts you in a position where when showrunners are looking at people, they, they literally usually reach out to you first going, hey, you know, we, we heard you guys have such and such and such. And I'm looking for a black female who has a Caribbean background. I mean, they're specific now. Yes, you they are I mean? specific. Very, very specific. I'm actually very excited about the mm-hmm. number of Caribbean stories that are starting yeah. to, because I was like, no one's touching. And it's so weird because I told my friend this a long time ago and she didn't understand it. But I would say to her when I was in my 20s, I've not seen me on TV. Mm. I've seen people that look like me, right. but I've not seen me. And she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I've not seen a Caribbean character on TV that's not a voodoo, hoodoo, <laughs> shaman. <laughs> <laughs> practicing some kind I don't know what it is right. or like they got the weird bees in their hand and they only drink soup and they don't really talk <laughs> or you know they're the killer this and they have no lines they just show up to kill people like mm-hmm. I literally those characters are not me at all <laughs> and so I don't really see me on TV right. and it's actually not until Anne with an E came out on Netflix where they had a Trinidadian character mm-hmm. who literally they went through his whole storyline with his crazy mom and how <laughs> which reminded me of my mom <laughs> where, where like how strict she was and like you know she purposely used to put him down in order to safe make him safe because if he doesn't have confidence he doesn't show himself wow. he gets to hide wow. so he knows to hide um because she was protecting him because that i mean that show takes place in like i think like the 18 or early like late 1800s okay. and so there's still very much this antagonism um from white people and then when he gets to canada because this whole place is in canada he ends up having a fight with other black canadians who were like would you uppity mm-hmm. right <laughs> so but there was this understanding of oh look Someone who's not practicing witchcraft. (laughs) 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 Who's just a regular human being with a crazy mom and like problems and conflict. This is lovely. It's funny. I was going to say, but it's not because there is a a, kind of a witchy lady in there. uh, I don't mind the witchy. Here's the thing. I have a current pilot where there is Caribbean people who are witches or one is a witch but she's also a mother mm-hmm. so she has <laughs> yeah you know what she has she's a mother she um was a wife um she has a job she cares for her daughter like being a witch is not all she is right. versus a lot of american shows what they do is i need to talk to my dead husband right. so then we go to the shop <laughs> exactly. in the alley somewhere and then there's this like woman who's suddenly like how may i help you mom mm-hmm. <laughs> you're exactly. like 
what? <laughs> and then like they, and then she's creepy and weird. Right. And then she disappears and you never see her again. And the that's all she bones was. And chicken. chicken bones and like playing with like pig feet. The pig feet say. <laughs> and you're like, you never see her again. So, because the thing is, um, voodoo is part, well, not part of most, because a lot of, most Christians are actually, um, sorry, most um, people from the Caribbean are actually Christian. But there is a history of the African people who were brought over into some of these Caribbean islands who did practice a form of that. Right. Um, and so it is prevalent in some places. So I don't want to erase it, but let's... Uh, <laughs> no, I understand. Yeah, let's <clears throat> make it more... Let's make these people full people. Right. Um, and that's like... So anyway, no, my point is I'm really excited about all of the Caribbean stories that seem to be coming out. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot coming out, you know, which is, which is, which is good. Um, uh, but for me, I'm I'm most excited about Washington Black. I think it's. Have you seen the? Have you read the book? I have not read the book, Girl. but I'm really excited. So it's on good. my list. It's on my list of things to so read. So good. It's, so good. I'm very um, excited about it. <clears throat> yeah, it's 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 a lot of really cool stuff. And I I wrote this. Uh, I wrote a project with Selwyn um, about the origins of reggae oh, called Simmer Down. So cool. Uh, it was gonna be so dope, but he's so busy. You know, so it was with him and Reggie Hudlin and stuff. And now I'm over over at Ben's working with Reggie on another project. Um, a capoeira project we're doing. Um, love yeah. that. And there's so much shit going on. So much shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. I love capoeira. I have a friend who uh, does it twice a week. Mm -hmm. He loves that thing. I go to watch him sometimes because it's so beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Um, let me think what I was going to tell you. Um, oh, uh, so what else is... Um, what do you, where do you see yourself in five years? Um, in five years, I definitely want to be a showrunner. Um, so that's the reason why one of my goals right now is to get on set because unfortunately, even though I've been on two shows, mm -hmm. they were streaming, so right. I didn't get to go on set. So I want the next Thank God one. for your post. Yes. Because you know how to at least <laughs> handle some shit. <laughs> exactly. So I want to get on set. So that's like my next, my more immediate goal is to get on set and to hopefully get on a fantasy show okay. because that, that's where I want to live. I want to live in like that dark fantasy area. Okay. Um, and in five years, I would love to ha um, be a showrunner, have my first show going um, and have possibly also sold like another pilot. Okay. Um, and then... Beyond that, my husband and I have a, our own production company, okay. so we want to get that going on a bigger level and start. What does in. he do? Oh, so my husband is a director. Okay. Um, he currently is an editor at Spectrum One News, but he's making the transition to being a director full time. Does he have that project I was telling you with offline? Does because I, I have to staff the director, so I'm looking at directors who don't have a ton of credits, but they're dope. Mm -hmm. Who who were given somebody an opportunity, especially somebody who's a person of color. Um, so if he has a reel or something, send, I will send it my reel. way because um, I'm putting together a short list now. So hopefully by the end of the week, we're probably going to start reaching out to people because we'll talk later. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. I'll. You know, he'll definitely. He definitely has a reel that he he can send you. Um, he currently has two shorts going through festivals. Okay. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah, I'm willing to look. You know, to see what they have and stuff. So. Okay. That's awesome. 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 Anything else you want to tell the kids? Any any more advice to um, those people who are trying to get on staff or, you know, anything? Or first-time writers when they first get in the rooms, you know, advice um, that you've learned? Well, when you first – so a couple things. One, when you first get into a room, give yourself grace. It's hard. Mm -hmm. um, no one expects you to be perfect. <laughs> um, and the thing that you need to learn how to develop, which is very hard to do <laughs> – 
is learn how to listen and think at the same time because that's what pitching is. You are listening to what other people are saying. You are processing what they are saying. And then you are coming up with a and or, you know, or mm-hmm. and but or and in addition to because you're always adding on to what someone is saying. Right. So you might have had a pitch that would have worked five minutes ago, but please don't say that pitch because <laughs> you're stopping the momentum of the room. That's one that you can put into your notebook. And if it comes back up, great. And or you can email it later. Mm-hmm. But what you want to do and it's very hard to do because you're basically processing on this side what is being said and then you're like trying to come up with something that adds value on this it's very hard um yeah because everybody wants to land exactly so active listening you don't realize it but you will be tired (laughs) it's exhausting (laughs) it's exhausting it's exhausting um and then also just know that you might see people who are like pitching like Mm-hmm. They just said they got it. They got this pitch, that pitch. They're all. They've been there before. They've done this before. You will be that person yep. in time. Yep. Just give yourself grace and do not panic. <laughs> and, and the trick that I always tell everybody is find the person in the room who's doing that. Listen to the rhythm of how they do it because they yes. usually do it in a certain rhythm. Yes. And study that rhythm and go home and practice that shit. Yes. You'll be surprised. Also. Write five pitches before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. Because usually you can tell where the room is going to go, right. especially based on the yeah. room notes. Read those notes, babe. Read the notes. <laughs> yeah. And then like think, okay, we seem to be really you know, we seem to be really focusing on these two people and their character. Right. Well what are two what are, what are two character pitches you can come up with before bed? Because if you have them written and you know what you want to say, now it takes away the thinking on the spot. And so if you find a spot where someone's talking about say the character's name is Sue, then you could like, okay, they're talking about Sue. Okay, now, you know, and you, because you've had it right. versus thinking about it. So like write those pitches down the night before. Um, you may not always use them, but it's a lot easier to get your thoughts out when they're already on paper. But one of the suggestions I always give to like staff writer, story editor level people is most of the, you know, the showrunner and everybody is usually focused on those first three or four characters on the, on the call list, on the, you know what I mean? In the call sheet, you it wouldn't help for you to come up with what happens with those other six. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Those are the ones that are like just, you know, they're just being thrown in sometimes last minute going, oh, we need a run on this person. Be the person who already had a run. Yep. You know, for I completely for the, agree. You know. And that's one thing I did. I did that. Um, I did that with uh, St. X. Um, and uh, it definitely helped because later on I shared it with the showrunner. And mm-hmm. it was basically it's like, does she agree with where the direction that I'm going, right. but some of that did help her understand how to put the characters in. Okay. Um, and then the other thing with Virgin River, I would say if you're getting on a show that's been going, it's gonna be annoying. You're not gonna wanna do it. Literally, I hate to say this, especially if you get on like Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Watch every, every single yes. episode and <laughs> Do a small synopsis for mm. yourself about the overall arc of every single character, right. where they are emotionally, because you will be sitting in a room. These writers are tired. <laughs> You'll be sitting in a room and someone will be like, okay, okay, okay. So yeah, uh-huh. so here he's going to mention that she died of a brain tumor. And you're sitting there like, no, uh she had pancreatic cancer. So then, obviously, later on, you'll just, you know, tap into the showrunner, or even when the showrunner, or sometimes the showrunner will be like, all right, um, any comments, suggestions, 
Keep going. Anyway, anything you want to say and the show, and I'll be like, hey, I really love what you did with like the reveal, but I think it was pancreatic cancer. Right. And they'll be like, oh, fuck it was. <laughs> like, <laughs> but just little things like that, you bring value to the room then because if you are the person they can turn to to make sure that they are being consistent. Right. So that really helped me a lot. And then also being able to say, oh, that storyline's fantastic, but I think we need to like, like change it or change the lighting on it because in season three um, episode five we did something very similar Mm -hmm. and so that's how I brought value to that room and it was really helpful people I got to the point where people were like Natasha (laughs) can you help did we do this already what you know see Ron is that person because he knows the book so well Mm -hmm. he's read all of them so he's always like oh you know in book three this thing happens blah 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 and everybody's like oh so that's coming you know what I mean? So they always go, Ron. Can we do such and such and such? You know what I mean? So it's a, it's yeah. it's a great superpower. That's a great, and that was me. And the thing is, also know that your superpower will change from room to room. Yeah, it's not just because you did this thing in that room doesn't mean you're carrying it forth into the next Correct. room because that showrunner may need you for a different thing. Correct. So be be able to just bend. Mm-hmm. Don't 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 be sitting there like I am this. No no, <laughs> bend with the wind. Right. Like, um, and then in terms of people breaking in. I know it's hard because <laughs> I've been there, but if you are, if there's something you're afraid of, if there's something you're hiding from, if there's something you don't want to talk about, there's a good chance that's what you need to talk about. That's what you need to face. Mm-hmm. Tell them. <laughs> that's what you need to deal with <clears throat> because that's the thing that's going to free you into writing the truth only you in a way that only you can do it, right. and then that becomes your voice. Mm-hmm. Because people are like, oh, uh, I, I don't really get a sense of their voice. <laughs> I got yeah. that a lot. And oh, yeah. it's usually because there is something I'm avoiding that I just need to freaking deal. Put on my big girl pants yep. and just deal with it. And then once I've dealt with it, I can put it on the paper. Right. Um, and that is the way that I know, for me anyway, to get my voice on the paper. But also to be writing in truth. And I always find, <clears throat> you know, I'm reading a lot. I'm reading a lot of scripts over there, but I still try to on the side read some of you know my mentees and stuff. And I always go, "You didn't really go very far right here." And they're like, "Well, you know, I was getting notes from people going, I was going too far." And and people don't always understand what that means. And to me, it usually means it's not that the moment went too far; it's that the setup for the moment something wasn't set up right mm-hmm. for you to accept that that's mm-hmm. what happens. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and that's that's the lesson, but that's the experience. Though now it took you 10 years to, to get there. Imagine had God blessed you 10 years before to get how much more mentally prepared you are now. Yeah. You know, that's why. Yeah. You know, sometimes, and then you turn around, you hear somebody's 20 years old who just got it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but it doesn't matter. Everybody has matter. their Everyone own has journey. Everyone has their own journey. And the thing is too, is I've noticed, I'm to be honest, these Gen Z, uh, younger millennials, they're bold. Oh, yeah. They're bold. Way more bold than I was. Oh, yeah. Um, and <laughs> I think that's why a lot of them are getting in younger because mm-hmm. they are like, fuck it. This is my truth. I had to go to school with damn shooting drills and this and that. And they're angry. Right. Um, and they are bold. And I think that's why they're getting in, some of them at much younger. It, mm-hmm. it took me a long time to be bold. Right. And that was just my journey. Mm-hmm. They'll have their own obstacles. Yeah. Like, sure. life will just do what it does. So, 
like at some point they will have an obstacle yeah. that they too have and, to overcome. And and one of the things I was gonna say earlier that that is even though you got in, you know, after ten years of you know having went to school and worked in places and all that, it worked at HBO and all. The experiences you have are oh, yeah. so much more from information you need to be in a room. That the reason why most writers don't get in when they're twenty years old these days is because you don't have a lot of experiences to yeah. talk about. No, you don't. You know, you don't. You haven't been married. You don't have any kids. Usually by that time, you know what I mean. There's so many stories you don't know what to talk about, so you're limited. Unless we're talking about a bunch of teens or something that exactly. you're in college, you know, things that you just experienced. There's not a lot of life experience in that. Exactly. I mean? and, and that's another thing I would say is if you are on this, if you're committed to this journey and you're on it, one, it'll happen when it happens. Yeah. Just stay consistent and keep learning and mm -hmm. changing and growing. But then, too, in that learning and changing and growing, live life. Agreed. Because I, I didn't do enough. Outside of writing. Exactly. Outside of writing. Because yeah. I'm going to be honest, I didn't do enough. I was I was the person hunkered in in isolation, writing, 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 mm -hmm. writing, writing, writing. Oh, this party, no party. Right, right, right. Oh, right. this beach thing, no. Right, right. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. That was who I am. And I wish I had had uh, went out more and did more things and had more experience because that would have given me things to write about. Right. And that's something I had to learn over time, too, that, you know, go to the party. Mm -hmm. Um, go to that dinner, um, go away for the weekend, uh, head, head to Catalina. Mm -hmm. Just do more things where you're experiencing life. Take odd jobs, you know, mm -hmm. especially if you're like a freelancer who's mm -hmm. just doing random jobs. All Take random jobs. My friend decided to become a dog walker for the heck of it. Yeah. Um, but now she has stories about like pretentious dog sure. owners <laughs> and personalities that she can pull from because mm -hmm. she's like, some of these people are ridiculous. I believe it. Um, so yeah, just expose yourself. So as much as you can, um, and it will definitely help. For sure, indeed. Well, thank you, girl. Thank good, you. Good to see you. Good to see it's you. It's been a minute. I go. It's been a long a time. A whole minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, very proud of you. Thank you. Glad girl. to see all the great things happening for you. Can't wait to see the next show you're going to be on and get bumped up on. I'm putting it out there now. You know. Fingers crossed. You gotta. You gotta ask for it. Oh no, my they, my agents always. <laughs> Hey, you may not agent. get it, but you get asked for no, this shit. No, they will definitely ask. So. You know what I mean? Yeah. Good, yeah. good. So that's what's up. And um, awesome. Where can people follow you? Where are you at on Instagram, Twitter, whatever? Um, Twitter, you can find me at Natasha Wright. Um, Wright as in spell like writing. Um, W-R-I-T-E? So W-R-I-T-E. Okay. At Natasha Wright. Um, and mostly you can find me on Twitter. On Instagram, you can find me. Um, I, it's called I am Natasha M. Hall. <laughs> all together very simple <laughs> um, but those are the two that I check most often okay yeah. that's what's up and I am your host Hilliard Guest you guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard, Hilliard Guest I see you with your little Wonder Woman purse like you cool you oh and nobody. she's black I, oh I didn't recognize mm -hmm. that okay I see we're wonderful too, girls. Okay. <laughs> she could have had some dookie braids or something, though. <laughs> I'm, she really could have. But. <laughs> anyway, you guys can follow the show, Screenwriters RR, on Twitter. I keep thinking about getting rid of that one and just using my Hilliard gas. I'm like, why do I have two? You know, um, so I'm thinking about it. We'll see. By maybe by September, I'll make a decision. Um, anyway, uh, please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, whatever you guys listen to, we're all over the world. Please go on there and give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics. Um, we have our screenwritersrr.com. You can get uh, T-shirts on there and stuff like that. If you get one, 
uh, take a photo, tag us in it, and we'll definitely blast it around. We appreciate that. Um, so much stuff going on, lots of good stuff. Anyway, we appreciate everybody, you know, listening to the show. We appreciate you guys, you know, retweeting and posting and, you know, sending us emails and everything like that. So, anyway, join with me for 2022. Okay. Uh, you guys know how we do it on the rant room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Natasha? 2022. Peace, y'all. Everyone got one. What's your opinion? This is the rap room. Tongues won't be bitten. Ain't no rules. Just spill it. And anybody can get it. No limit. We get to kill it. We tuning into the thrillers. And no, ain't no stopping. No. Any topic. Even the random. Yeah, I hope that you ready. We entering in the zone soon. We on a grown shit. Welcome to the rap room. Ah.